morning. I'd like to thank the Bell Choir for that number this morning, and I'd also like to welcome back Mr. Dylan Robbins as our guest piano pianist today. So thank you. It was very good this morning. Uh, just a few announcements before we get started. Uh, we're going to be welcoming new members during the service, so we're looking forward to that. So make sure uh, we congratulate them and make them feel welcome. We appreciate that. And mark your calendars now for the praise and prayer night on March 27th here in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. This night is open to everyone, so invite your family, neighbors, and friends to join us. And there's just one correction uh, in the back of the bulletin. So there will be no bell, bell or vocal practices on Wednesday night, March 23rd. So it's a change from the bulletin there. Would you please rise and join me in the call to worship, taken from Psalm 146. <clears throat> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plan, plans came to nothing. Blessed are those who help the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed, and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, and the Lord loves righteousness. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Now let us sing hymn number four, How Great Thou Art.
seated. At this point in the service, we have the opportunity to welcome new members into our church family. So I want to invite them to come forward at this time. I'm going to read their names as they come forward as well. Joining the church today, we have Nick and Erica Bashong, Zach Metzger, Andrew Hockey, Dan and Pam Langenkamp, John Dirksen, and Brian and Colleen Buckland. This is always a, an awesome thing for us to do, um, and I hope you guys are ex- as excited about this as I am. It's always great to, to welcome uh, new members into our church family, and it's an opportunity for us to um, not just put them on the spot, of course. I know maybe not everybody loves coming up in front of the whole church and standing here, but we do this because we want, we want to acknowledge their commitment they're making, but it's also an opportunity for us as a church to recognize them and to, to make a commitment to them, to welcome them into our church family, to acknowledge them as members. I know many of us have been participating for some time, um, so they're not necessarily new faces, but we're certainly grateful for the commitment that they're making today. And, and we as a church family have an opportunity to, to surround them and love them and support them. And so we have some questions here that we're going to ask them. And as a group, you guys can respond. Um, and then after we go through this, um, I'm going to invite our current elders to come forward as a way for us as a church family to surround them and, and pray for them afterwards as well. And so, um, again, I've had an opportunity to talk with each, each one of these individuals and the families that are represented here, and it's been a great to get to know you guys a little bit more and get a chance to share with you about um, our church family and, and who we are and who we desire to be. And so these questions and the mission statement kind of reflect reflect that conversation and and give us an opportunity to, as a church family, um, come together uh, around uh, who God is calling us to be as a church. And so I invite you as a group to answer the following questions with me. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and pledge your allegiance to his kingdom? Do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? And do you promise, according to the grace given to you, to live a Christian life and always remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church? Praise God. Now I'm going to take this moment and and read this mission statement. And and this last question is for you guys, but I like to think of it as an opportunity for all of us to affirm our commitment to who God is calling us to be as a church. And so I'm going to invite all of our all of our members of our church family to stand as we as I read this mission statement and invite you all to reaffirm your commitment to this church family as these new members do so together today. And so again, just to re- remind us all who God is calling us to be. First Church is a community of faith who engage biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. And to accomplish our mission, First Church will encounter our Creator, embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to become His disciples, empower lives through God's living Word, the Bible, engage the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction, encourage others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God, and to enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. You know, this is who God, we believe God is calling us to be as a church, who we desire to be as a church. And so as you as new members making this commitment today, can look out and see that you're not alone, right? We as a church family are, are committing to live out that mission and vision together. And so along with everyone standing here today, I ask you, now that you are becoming members of the church, do you promise to participate in the life and worship of the church 
and to live out this mission statement with the help of God and to the best of your ability. Praise God. This time, I want to invite forward any of our uh, current elders that are here with us today to just come forward with me as a sign of us as a church family um, praying for them together. As they do, so you guys can all be seated as well. Thank you for participating with me in that way. I think there's more, Carolyn. I think others are coming too. <laughs> but as, as we wait for the elders to come forward, just want to, again, reiterate just the, the value of, of church membership. Again, this is an opportunity for, for us to remember why we commit ourselves to the local body of Christ, right? Membership in the local church is about committing, about members committing to the body of Christ, but it's about the body of Christ committing to these members as well. And so as we pray for them, know that, you know, I've invited the elders to come forward when we're praying for them, but this is a prayer for all of us as we commit to love and support them in their walk with Christ as well. So thank you. Let's, let's take a moment and we're going to pray for you. Um, Father God, I thank you for each of the, the families and individuals that are represented here today. I thank you for the commitment that they're making to your body here in this place at First Church Foremost and their love for you as their Savior and Lord. And thank you for the opportunity we heard to uh, hear them reaffirm that here today. And we thank you also for the commitment they're making to, to your church, Lord. I pray that you help them to always uh, live it out to the best of their ability. I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they may um, know you and love you and serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we thank you for this church body that they are committing to. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have as believers to gather here in this place and to worship you together, to, to learn about your word together, and also to serve you together, Lord. Um, I pray that, that both the, the people that are up here on the stage, as well as all of us who are members of the church, would, would live out that commitment with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to follow you and to be committed to your church here in this place. Um, Lord, as I, I pray that for each one of these people that they would that they would be committed, Lord, to this place and committed to you as Savior and Lord. We pray for these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. We're so excited to welcome you into Christ Church. And as they go down and be seated, we're going to take an opportunity to greet one another. So maybe you can, um, and as the children come forward for children's chat, we can do that as well. So take a moment now to greet your neighbor.
had a trustee that asked me not to get these caught in the fans. I don't think it'll grow that. How many of you flown any kites yet? Have you? Have you flown I, them before? I have a wheel Do you? Wow. I never got to fly a kite at Myrtle Beach. I remember as a little girl, we used to use the Sunday paper. You don't remember what a newspaper is? We made kites on Sunday afternoon, didn't we? That's what we did. We took sticks. Well, you... Hmm? Is this one mine? For the moment, it is. So you like kites. You know, our Christian lives can be like this kite. Let's pretend that the smiley face is us, okay? See that smiley face? What's behind the smiley face? Sticks. What kind of a shape do they make? A cross. So if we, the sticks are attached to us, if that cross, what do you think that cross represents? Jesus, that's right. That keeps us close to Jesus, doesn't it? Well, they fly better outside. That that they do. And they fly, and what makes them fly? Wind. You know that wind can be like the Holy Spirit. And when that wind blows, it pushes us against what? against the cross so the holy spirit helps us get closer to jesus now we've got this little this little thingy here and i bet you've all dropped it already haven't you this string when it gets out there dad chased it across the field (laughs) what was more fun watching dad chase across the field or oh sorry dad Um, But this kind of controls us, doesn't it? Who do you think controls us and tries to guide us in the right direction? God does. God does. So Jesus is the cross that we hold close to. And... Yeah, well, a lot of times they do this, don't they? They find the muddiest spot to go down like that. But is God ever going to let go of you? No, he's always going to give you that little nudge to go left and right. That's all right. Those are my brains. I don't need them. So we've got something we haven't talked about. What's that? The tail. You know, this kite will not fly without a tail. It'll just go, because the tail is our faith. And our faith keeps us flying higher. Can you just feel yourself like a kite? Can you be like a kite and fly? And your tails are flowing in the wind. And those little gold strings are Bible verses that you learn, like the Lord is my shepherd, and for God loved us, he gave his only son. And all those, when we have trouble, are going to be there to help us get through the bad times when we need them. 
So kites are pretty special when you think about them that way, don't you? Yeah. So the eyes is probably God watching us or mom and dad, either or. So when you fly kites, think about what your flight, your kite is like. That we're attached to Jesus, and with God's help, he's going to keep us on track, and the Holy Spirit keeps us close. I have a kite for each one of you, I think, I hope. And after church, you come up and I'll give you one, okay? All right, let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these children with their open minds and open hearts and Help them to realize that Jesus is close to us and our lives as Christians bring us close to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit blows us in that direction that we can fly free with the knowledge of your love and and grace in our lives. And, And that God has control with the string of our lives, nudging us which way to go, the way he'd like to have us go. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for our faith. And help us to continue learning Bible verses to help us in troubled times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you, Carolyn, for that children's chat today. As we turn our attention to... Can you hold this, Carolyn? Oh, she got it. As we turn our attention to the offering this morning, just want to remind you that our designated offering this morning is for Doug and Kathy McLean, who are serving ABWE Ministries in Pirmasens, Germany. Um, also, we still have the blue jug up front, uh, which is an opportunity for you. In addition to the gift for Samaritan's Purse and the disaster relief that they are currently uh, providing in Ukraine and the surrounding areas, um, any donations made through the blue jug will be given directly to Samaritan's Purse and the work that they are doing in Ukraine. Um, we thank you uh, for, for all the support um, that we've seen through that so far. And again, if there's any other, um, we'll, be, we'll have it up there for another week or so, um, but any gifts given through the Blue Jug will go to support that as well. Uh, thank you all for your, your financial support of these ministries and want to invite the deacons to come forward at this time to collect our offering.
in the doxology as well as this next song remind us that God is certainly worthy of our praise. Um, so much when we focus on our prayer time during the service, the, the focus tends to go towards our needs, right? What, what problems are we maybe facing? What circumstances need our attention? And sometimes we don't give praise the time that it deserves. And so I want to maybe go out on a limb here for just a moment, but invite you for the next moment or two to just share some praises. Um, And I'll start. Um, I think it's important for us to, to pause and reflect on God's glory, his goodness, and certainly thank him for all that he's done. And so I want to thank God today for, for the way that he has been providing for us over the last month or so, as you all are well aware of, you know, our family has had a challenge with, with Josephine's diagnosis of diabetes, but, but the love and the support that we've experienced from our family, from our church family, from the community has just been outstanding. And so we, I, we want to thank God and praise him for his provision and his faithfulness, and especially the way that it's been shown through our church family. So thank you all and thank God for his provision. Is there anybody else that would like to share any praises this morning, anything that you'd like to thank God for um, today? First day of spring, I heard. Praise God for that. That is certainly something to be thankful for. That sunshine does wonders, doesn't it? Praise God for for first day of spring and for for his creation. Would anybody else like to share anything? For sure. Praise God for family and, and daughters coming home to visit. That's a wonderful thing. Praise God for new members in the church. That's right. That's definitely something to celebrate today. All right. Well, I'm sure there's plenty that we can, we can reflect on and be thankful for. And this next song gives us that opportunity. I invite you to remain standing as we sing number 66, To God Be the Glory. And as we sing this, let's lift up our praises to God, both those that were spoken and unspoken this morning, because he certainly is worthy of it.
invite you to pray with me. Father God, we do give you the glory and the praise that you deserve. Uh, you have done great things, Lord, in our own lives. And in this past weeks and months have been testimony to that, Lord. We thank you for the way that you have provided for us in very, very real and very practical ways. We thank you for the beauty of the first day of spring and the sunshine that reminds us of your glory and your majesty. We thank you for family coming to visit, Lord, and what a blessing it is to spend time with family members and with children and with parents, Lord, especially those who live a distance away. We thank you for that, that blessing um, and that, that the way that you provided for them. And of course, Lord, we also praise you and thank you for our new members. We thank you for their commitment to you. We thank you, Lord, of course, for, for your church here in this place and the way that you have called us to be a, a family of, of believers as brothers and sisters in Christ, united together in our, in our faith and commitment to you. Um, just thank you for those individuals that are joining the church today. And, and thank you for this church body, Lord, and the way that you have equipped us um, to, to praise you and to worship you, uh, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, and of course, we thank you because the greatest thing you've done is you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Lord, everything in life, everything, every good and perfect gift is from you and you provide and sustain uh, our very lives. Uh, but our, the greatest thing, the thing that is, that is worth more than anything else in this world is a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that you have provided for us and you have made possible for us through his death and resurrection, and through the gift of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you and praise you, Lord God, for, for your presence and your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. And of course, we also thank you for your righteousness and your glory and your justice, Lord. Um, we just praise you for all of who you are and all of what you've done. And because, Lord, we know that you are good and we know that you have provided for us in the past, we know, Lord, that you will continue to provide for us in the future. Your faithfulness, Lord, is, is, is evidence and is an assurance that you will continue to be faithful in the present and also, Lord, moving forward into the future. And so whatever challenges that we face, whatever needs are represented in this room or those listening on the radio or watching online, Lord, we ask that you would meet us according to your will, that you'd provide what's needed, that you would, Lord, work in each of those circumstances, ultimately for our good and for your glory. And may, may we see, Lord, the way that you're working in our lives and always praise you for that. And Lord, we ask also that you would equip us and enable us to be the answer to prayer when possible. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus who, who provide for those who are in need and who care for those who are hurting. May you use us, Lord, as, as instruments of your peace and your justice in any way possible. And of course, Lord, we pray for our world and the, the ongoing situation in Ukraine. We pray for peace to be to be made, Lord, we pray for an end to this conflict. And as always, Lord, we pray for good to triumph over evil and for justice and righteousness to reign. We do pray for those leaders in those positions who are making decisions that affect not only what's happening there, but also here at home. We pray for wisdom and, and guidance for them. May they have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness and may they be filled. And Lord, we thank you for our church here in this place. Uh, we pray especially this day for our Sunday school teachers. We thank you for 
the way that they sacrifice their time and their effort to pour into these young children and to make disciples, Lord, as you call us to do. We thank you and praise you for them and pray that you would um, bless them in their work and, uh, and uh, Lord, and pray that their, their ministry would be fruitful and that we would see the fruit of that ministry in the years to come. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 4 or excuse me verses 8 through 14. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. So does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thanks, Maria. Let's pray together again. Father, as we turn our attention to your word now this morning and wrap up our study in the letter of 1 Peter, we ask for your continued guidance as in our hearts and minds. May you soften our hearts to the truth of your word this day. And may you, Holy Spirit, give me words to speak. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be wrapping up our study of First Peter here this morning. And, and you see here that, that Peter does not end his letter here on a, on a soft note. In fact, this is probably his most direct reference to the challenges that believers face, in particular, um, the, the idea that our enemy, the devil, is, is prowling around like a roaring lion, right? This is talking about the hard circumstances that many of those believers face that he was writing to. But here, is in the closing words of his letter, he, he references uh, and, and gives them a, a alert, a warning of, of the enemy that is seeking to devour them. And so as we wrap up here, we're going to be focusing on these. Uh, a couple verses really are going to be getting most of our attention here today. But it really is almost like a capstone on the end of, of many of the themes that Peter had been dealing with throughout this letter. It's a reminder that, that Peter is instructing his, uh, this church uh, what, what it means to live faithfully in a fallen world. Right from the very get-go, he was acknowledging that this world we live in is broken, right? And, and the, the hardship and the suffering 
that we experience both as human beings, but also in particular as believers is the result of this broken world. And that brokenness expresses itself in a lot of ways, right? It's our own sinfulness and it's our own struggles that we face. It's also just simply the circumstances of a sinful, broken world that we live in, right? Some suffering is just the result of the brokenness of this world, not directly connected to maybe individual decisions that are made. And as we see here, he's also reminding us that there is a very real enemy that does desire to see us defeated, that does desire to see us separated from God. And he'll do anything he can to make that happen. And so that's why in verse 8 here, he says, be alert and sober-minded, right? Almost the same words that he used back in in chapter 4, verse 7. If you recall there, that was a call to prayer, right? The the call there was to be prayerful and to, we talked about how prayer is not, is a strategic plan, right? That that prayer is something that we can choose to do, that we, we actively engage in as part of our relationship with God. And here he's, he's using those same words to remind us that we also need to be aware that there's an enemy who seeks to destroy us. And that's what he references here in the closing verses of his letter. Essentially, he's saying, wake up, right? Be aware of what's happening. And, and particularly here, he wants us to be aware of the enemy. And so this is, in a way, very similar to uh, the, the sermon that Tori preached back in, I think, January, was it? Has it been that long already? Um, and she, she preached from Ephesians chapter 6 about the need to know our enemy. And so there's going to be a little bit of overlap here, but it's good to reinforce, right, what God's word says and to make sure that we are um, staying on track in that way. But it's also, and so I know that uh, Tori's going to have an opportunity to continue that, that sermon series through Ephesians 6 and looking forward to what else God has to say through her about that, I, about the armor of God. So let's look here about what Peter reminds us of. What are we to be alert and sober-minded about? In verse 8, he says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That one verse describes a lot about who our enemy is, and it's important for us to just pause there and reflect a bit on what we know about our enemy. First of all, it's important to know that our enemy is personal. Peter says he is your enemy, not just an enemy in general, not someone else's enemy, but he says he is your enemy. Right? We need to remember that, that, that Satan, the devil, he, to put this bluntly, right, he hates us. He, does, he would love nothing more than to see us separated from Jesus, to see our faith falter and fail, for us to be distracted. Right? And he wants you to experience that. There's a great image I, I find very similar to this description of the lion in, in 1 Peter 5, 8. And it goes, it goes all the way back to Genesis 4, 7. And this is the story of Cain and Abel. A very familiar story to many of us, right? Cain and Abel, these brothers, and they, they both offer up a sacrifice to God. Abel's is accepted and Cain's is not. And of course, we know that in that story, Cain goes on to murder his brother, right? Out of jealousy, out of anger. But before that happens, in, in, in Genesis 4, 7, the Lord speaks to Cain and he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Right? That image is very similar to the image of the, the prowling lion, right? Seeking someone to devour. Sin is, is crouching at his door, ready to spring a trap. And the Lord warns Cain, if you do what is right, you'll be fine. But if you do not do what is right, sin is right there, ready to spring its trap on you. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The scripture uses the word enemy. The, another, again, common name for this enemy is, is Satan in the, in the Old Testament and the New. And that word means the slanderer, the accuser, the adversary. And the word is actually uh, references a plaintiff in a court case. Right? The plaintiff is the one who accuses someone of a crime. And then it is their responsibility to then present the evidence in court and prove their guilt. Right? That's, that's what the enemy does for us. He accuses us. He slanders us. He, he is our adversary. And he, he's, he's constantly heaping accusations against us to try to discourage us. Think of the scene in Job 1, right? If you're familiar with that story, in Job 1, Satan is the accuser, right? He, he comes before God and, and he, he accuses Job of only trusting God, only worshiping God because of the blessings that God has provided. And so Satan desires to take all that away as a, as a way to prove that Job isn't as righteous and as faithful as he claims to be or as God thinks that he is. And so in that scene, Satan is, is almost, almost uh, presented like a, a prosecuting attorney, right? He's trying to prove that Job is guilty of, of, of only loving God because of the things that God has provided for him. That's what our enemy does. He accuses us. He slanders us. He, he is opposed to us. But we also must remember that our, as, as Tori preached on in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? Our, our enemy is not our boss or our coworker. Right? The enemy is not our neighbor or our family member. Right? The enemy is not a person in that sense. Our, our ultimate enemy, our, our adversary, our accuser is not flesh and blood. It's a, it's a spiritual reality. So our enemy is personal. The second thing we need to remember is our enemy is cunning. It says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. And this image is that he is on the hunt. Right? He's cunning. He's deceptive. He's a liar. He sets traps and he lies in wait. Right? And, and, and we see that. And again, Scripture itself testifies to that. And there's two scenes that come to mind. Right? Genesis 3 with the serpent in the garden. And then again in, in, in Luke and Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. In both of those cases, the enemy twists and manipulates God's word to try to entice first Adam and Eve, and then Jesus, to abandon God and follow him instead. And it worked for Adam and Eve. Remember in the garden, the serpent said, did God really say? Right? He was trying to undermine God's word and authority, twisting what God had said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. And of course, Adam and Eve fell for it, didn't they? They saw that the apple was, or the fruit was pleasing to the eye and, and useful for gaining wisdom, and so they took it and they ate it. The enemy had deceived them, manipulated, twisted God's word, and it worked. But in that second instance, in the wilderness with Jesus, it didn't, did it? Same idea. Satan actually quotes from the Psalms. There's a, I, I saw once a, a picture of a Christian calendar. You see, you know, those verses there, 
there was someone, there was one that was made and it was a quote from Luke chapter four. And it says, if you just bow down and worship me, all of the kingdoms of the world will be yours. The person who made that calendar didn't realize that was Satan speaking, right? That was Satan's temptation to Jesus, right? Bow down and worship me and all these kingdoms will be yours. The person who made that wasn't paying attention in Sunday school class. But that's what, that's what Satan does. He twists God's word, right? He even, he quoted the Psalm to try to get Jesus to jump off the highest point in the, uh, from the temple so that because he said that God's word promised that he would not allow his foot to be struck against a stone. You see, the enemy is cunning. He will twist and manipulate God's word. He's even a liar. John eight forty four. Jesus says that he is the father of all lies. And so we must remember that. The last thing to note here about our enemy is that he is seeking someone to devour. He is a murderer at heart. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to seek, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? The enemy, as I said before, is, is our enemy, and he desires to see us destroyed. See, the thing is, is he's already lost the war, but he knows it. Right? The victory has been won on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, when he was raised to life, victory was achieved. Sin and Satan and death and everything else was conquered in that moment. Victory was won. And so the enemy knows that, except he's trying to bring as many people down with him as he can. I've talked about the Battle of New Orleans in the War of 1812 before. The Battle of New Orleans was fought, is a, is a, was a major battle of that war, but it actually was fought and took place after the treaty was signed that ended the war. The problem was in 1812, they didn't have Twitter or Facebook to communicate very quickly, right? So when the treaty was signed in Europe, it took a long time for news of the treaty to reach back to America and obviously to New Orleans. And so the Battle of New Orleans actually took place after the war had ended. The victory was achieved. It was a done deal. Yet that battle still had very real consequences, right? Casualties still happened. People were harmed. People were killed. The victory was achieved. The war was officially over. Yet there were very, still very real consequences. And that's what... Satan is trying to achieve. He's trying to bring as many people down with him as he can because he's our enemy who is cunning and seeks seeks us out. And so what are we called to do in response? If, that, if our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour, how do we stand against him? Well, it says here that we're called to resist him. And that's pretty straightforward for us, right? If, if we look at James 4, 7, there's a very similar passage and it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? It, it seems pretty simple and seems pretty straightforward that, that there are calls to resist him, right? Stand against him. But the way that we do that, right? The way that we resist the devil, the way that we resist his schemes and his lies and his manipulations and his, and his traps is by seeking after God with all of our heart. You see, that's the key to resisting the devil, is not to become so obsessed with him, 
and so obsessed with his tactics that we spend all of our time and energy focusing on him, the way that we resist the enemy is by focusing on the real thing, focusing on Christ, following him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, we identify counterfeits by studying the real thing, don't we? We can know what is false by being so connected to the real thing, by being so aware of the truth of God's word that we can easily identify where things start to go off the rails. You see, if you're moving toward God, you're by default moving away from the enemy. So if you want to resist them, you've got to do the things that the enemy wants you to avoid. Right? And I'm going to sound really radical here, but I think this is important. If you want to resist the enemy, we need to be in God's Word regularly. Right? We need to pray. We need to attend worship with other believers. Right? We need to do those things that, that the enemy wants us to avoid, the enemy wants us to be distracted from. Those are the things that we need to seek after. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we're called to resist him and we're called to stand firm in the faith. As I said, if we want to resist him, then we need to make sure we are pursuing God with, with everything we have. So we need to trust God in his word. Of all the items that are listed in Ephesians 6 in the armor of God, the only offensive weapon there is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, think of Jesus' time in the wilderness as Satan was tempting him to try to get him off mission and off task. With each of those temptations, Jesus responded with Scripture. He quoted from Deuteronomy, right, as a way to, to resist the devil's temptations. Right? Jesus relied on Scripture. He depended on it in order to stand strong. We must do so as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes about this warning about how, how in, in later days, Right? People are just going to surround themselves with preachers who are going to tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Right? And that's, that's a reality, right? People want to, people, there are false teachers, right? There are people out there that will, that will say anything you want to say, right? And there's so much available with the internet and the access that we have. We can find, find all sorts of teaching out there. And so what is Paul's response? What does Paul encourage Timothy to, to do to combat the false teaching that, that, became part of, uh, part of their culture, preach the word, right? Preach the word in season and out of season. In other words, ground yourself in God's word. That will provide the foundation you need to stand strong. We need to remember, too, that we, we don't depend on ourselves. We depend on God's power. The strength to stand against the enemy and temptation doesn't come from inside of us. It's, it's not a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of mentality, it's recognizing our weakness, recognizing our need for God, and depending completely on Him. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. In other words, what does Paul say? He says, when you face temptation, when you're, when you're under... When you're struggling... Don't look inside yourself. Look to God. Don't try to get yourself out of the mess. Look to God and depend on Him to provide what you need. And standing in His mighty power. Again, stand in God's strength, not our own. 1 John 4.4 4 reminds us that we overcome 
because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Right? We don't have to fear the enemy. We don't have to fear his schemes. We don't have to fear his, his, his manipulations because we know that if we have put our faith in Jesus, that he has given us his Holy Spirit, that God's presence dwells within us. And that means that, that, that when we are scared and we're unsure of ourselves, we know that we can depend on God for what we need. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to remind us of the things that Jesus taught. And he's going to empower us and equip us to live for Christ in every circumstance. And the last way for us to to resist the enemy is to remember that we are not alone. This kind of suffering, no one, not even Jesus, is immune to the temptations and accusations of the devil. And so we need to encourage and support one another. Right? We need each other. That's why church membership is so important as we just celebrated earlier in our service today. That's why gathering together here in this place to, to praise God and hear from his word is so important because we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a story in Exodus chapter 17. Um, Moses is leading God's people. They had left Egypt. They had crossed over the Red Sea, but the, and they They had left the Egyptian army behind, but they faced different challenges out in the wilderness. And Joshua was was down leading the army and fighting this battle. And Moses was up on this hillside. And he realized that that when he would take the staff of God and hold it up in the air, then the Israelite army would be winning. But as soon as he put the staff down, the enemies would begin to overtake him. And so Moses stood up there for hours, but his arms grew tired. He couldn't hold his arms up anymore. And so two people came alongside him and they, they, they placed a rock behind him so he could sit down. And when his arms were too tired, they held his arms up for him. They stood by his side and held both of his arms up in the air. And in doing so, the Israelites won the battle. See, that's what we need, right? When we are too tired to hold our arms up ourselves, when, we're, when we are discouraged and downtrodden and we can't, go on ourselves. That's when we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and support us. We need the church family that God has provided for us to come alongside us and hold our arms up when we can't do it anymore. Know that you are not alone in this battle. As we close out here, it's important for us to remember this future promise as well. It's found in verses 10 and 11. That the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Right? Peter says we, we need to resist the enemy, right? We need, to, we need to hold back. We need to make sure we're doing our part. But at the end of the day, it's not you or I that win the battle, right? The battle is, is the Lord's. He, will, he has already achieved the victory through Christ. And when Jesus returns, we'll experience that victory in its fullness. We're going to close our service here in just a moment by singing our last song. It's, a, it's another hymn, but it's not in our hymnal. The words are in your bulletin. And I just want to read this uh, uh, first verse for us just to point you to the, the truth of what these words are saying. And it's just to reinforce this idea that God will hold us fast. The, the title of the hymn is He Will Hold Me Fast. And it says, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. 
He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Let's pray. And as, as after we're done praying, let's sing those words together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, all that you provided for us in it including, Lord, this reminder that there is an enemy who desires nothing more than to see us separated from you. Help us to be aware of that reality, Lord, but not live in fear of it either. Help us to keep our focus on you in everything that we do. Help us to resist him, to stand firm in the faith, and know, Lord, that that you hold us in the palm of your hand and that you will provide victory for us through Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service, I invite you to stand if you're able and sing this closing song, He Will Hold Me Fast.
Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.